Welcome one and all to Vision on Sound here on Fab Radio International with me, Martin Holmes. This week, we welcome back our old friend Sandy McGregor to look at another series of the more serious and dramatic telly that he tends to be rather fond of joining us for a chat about. For this week's show, Sandy has been watching Pennies from Heaven, Dennis Potter's acclaimed BAFTA award-winning six-part musical drama serial from 1978, directed by the late Piers Haggard and which was one of several collaborations Potter had with producer Kenneth Trodd. Acting-wise, the serial stars Bob Hoskins, Cheryl Campbell and Gemma Craven, alongside an astonishingly vivid turn from Kenneth Colley as the accordion man, and a whole host of amazing and very familiar acting talent. It's a complex story of longing for another life, love and death, and the inevitability of fate, all accompanied by an extraordinary soundtrack of the popular tunes from the 1920s and 1930s, and represents the first, but not the last, time Dennis Potter would require his actors to mime and dance along to the tunes in often breathtaking sequences that attempt to show the inner lives, hopes and dreams of his characters in stark contrast to the mundane disappointments in their humdrum everyday existences. This is the story of sheet music salesman Arthur Parker, played by Bob Hoskins in a career-making role who is unhappily and frustratingly married to Gemma Craven's Joan. As the serial begins they are living in an art deco suburban hell but because Arthur lives the on the road life of a commercial traveller he has a fateful encounter with Eileen Everson, a Gloucestershire schoolmistress with hidden depths played by Cheryl Campbell which has the effect of changing both their lives in surprising and sometimes very dark ways. As both of their destinies become intertwined in a tale of scandal, deceit and murder, the narrative finds new and intriguing ways to pick at the various scabs of society, including politics, education and the legal system, before going inevitably to a very dark conclusion that, perhaps surprisingly, then pulls one or two extraordinary narrative twists from out of the bag. About a decade later, Potter's other masterpiece, The Singing Detective, would in some ways cover very similar ground in parts, and so Pennies from Heaven is often considered a prototype or a trial run for that later work, even even though its story actually goes off in a very different direction. And Pennies from Heaven is an astonishing piece in its own right, although perhaps because it was unavailable on British TV screens for a long time for legal reasons, sometimes it doesn't quite get as much love as it deserves. Sadly, since we recorded this conversation, the director of the series, the prolific and multi-talented Piers Haggard, who also directed the final Quatermass serial for Euston Films in 1979, has passed on from this realm, but rather strangely and regrettably, Sandy and I failed to talk about his contribution in the enthusiastic and frantic hour that follows, so I hope that, by at least acknowledging him now, you'll forgive our ridiculous lapse of judgement. So let's fire up those Fab Radio International time engines and head on right back down Sunnyside Lane and make sure our umbrellas are upside down. Hello, Sandy. How the heck are you? Um, very well, Martin. How are you? Oh, ticking along, man. Ticking along. We're back. It's nice to have you back. You've been watching some serious telly again over Christmas and over the New Year and over the end of last year. And whilst we are going to come back to a few of those shows today, we're going back to one of your old favourites, which is the work of Dennis Potter. Yes, yeah. I mean, Potter is one of the uh, 
he is one of the masters for me. You know, mm-hmm. he is one of these guys you just go to. And my latest pick the DVD off the shelf one <laughs> <laughs> is uh, Pennies from Heaven. Pennies from Heaven. Now, Pennies from Heaven is the uh, six-part drama that was in the style of the singer detective but seven or eight years earlier is that right yes so yes this is kind of like the prototype for that style of drama Very that that uh, dennis yeah. Potter has perfected really with singing detective but this is kind of like would you say it's the prototype yes i would say it's his first his first kind of foray into this blend of a naturalistic story with mm. suddenly going into these surreal moments mm. of people acting out songs mm. I know you're not a uh, fan of musicals, Sandy. No, 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 I'm not, not a fan. So, of do you feel that somehow this doesn't quite? It's not a musical, obviously. It's a it's a drama with song. Yes, but yes. do you feel that, that somehow does make it different to, to the musical as a yeah? As a because the yeah, in a lot of musicals, you get people who will explain the plot mm. of the play, and the plot will be progressed mm. by some song that is not particularly. Mm. Good. Oh, right. so, some of them are very good. Let, let's yeah. be fair. There are there are some some cracking show tunes out there. Mm. But you know what is done with Pennies from Heaven and Singing Detective is to go to the songs mm. of the era. They're really the good songs. Mm. You know, it's not kind of you know he's got thousands of songs to pick from, mm. and he goes for the uh, the really the one that will absolutely. Potter had uh, had a lot to say, didn't yeah. he, about the cheap songs, cheap music, but the yes. popular popular songs. And that, yeah, that, that that is absolutely what this song is mm. about. Sort of song. <laughs> this television programme. Yes, indeed. Is about. <laughs> is uh, it a film? Is it a book? Is it a movie? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but yeah, what, what I was going to say is, mm. like, it's interesting if you look at what Potter did either side of this mm. by way of TV series. Mm. The one before was The Mayor of Casterbridge. Ah. And the one after was Tender is the Night. Right. So adaptations. So he so he was yeah. going for adaptations of classics. Uh, classics, yeah, yeah. I think it's, it's fair to, to, yeah. to describe both of these. And then you know these are quite traditionally filmed, replaying a a classic novel, mm. and suddenly in the middle he pulls out this amazing fait accompli with yeah. a, a really well. This is a, uh, a BAFTA award-winning serial. Yes, uh, mm-hmm. and it's and it's still number twenty one in the BFI's top one hundred TV programs. And yep. the interesting thing about it is, is this one is set in the nineteen thirties. This is between the wars, so yep. the, the songs are from the thirties. The interesting thing I think about the trilogy, I suppose, because lipstick should be thought of as a part of the trilogy, yep. mm-hmm. is that you've got pennies from heaven is the thirties. Singing Detective, I kind of think it's the forties. It feels like the forties, and yes, and lipstick yeah. is mm-hmm. is the fifties. But before the coming of the electric guitar, I think that's that's the criterion yeah, from what I remember. Ve- yeah, it's very kind of early rock, rock and, and roll, roll type yeah. stuff, you know. So it's not really mm. full on rock and roll that one. But yeah, I remember him saying at the time that he didn't think he would do a third one because the music wasn't basically the electric guitar mm. had changed how. Mm. How things were, but yeah, I mean, yeah, the the singing detective is very forties because mm. the the Second World War is going on, mm. and it it jumps across time frames mm. and different stories, whereas mm. Pennies from Heaven is a more linear mm. story about you know it's all set. Well, 
I think depending from remember you could argue is a is a love story or or a murder mystery or something. It's it's more, it's a more linear yes. storyline altogether, and it's basically the story of the downfall of a sheet music. Be careful how you say that yes. sheet music <laughs> salesman who uh, called yep. Arthur Parker, who is in an unhappy Arthur, marriage. Arthur Parker, yep. Uh, Arthur Parker, sorry, yes. and who is is in an unhappy marriage and basically. Uh, <laughs> Has has a roving eye, shall we say, yes. and then his downfall comes through. Oh, is it a downfall or is it redemption? No, it's definitely a downfall. Um, yeah. <laughs> comes through his liaison with uh, Eileen Eileen Everson, yes. who played yeah. by the lovely uh, Cheryl Campbell, and yeah. uh, basically, it after they meet, the story unfolds, becomes more of a murder mystery, and so on and so forth. But there are six. Uh, hour and a quarter. It's a, it's a very unusual format, isn't it? it? It's kind of yeah. It's kind of this it's, way it's, and that. Yeah, it's it's kind of somewhere between your normal one hour mm. and the kind of hour twenty, full on, yeah, hour fifteen. Uh, yeah, you know, kind of what you'd expect from a, a feature film. So that you know, the, the episodes are are long and feel you know, there's there's a mm. lot in them, mm. but it it avoids having that kind of. <laughs> The thing you get on particularly ITV drama, where you've got to have some climax every mm. every thirteen and a half minutes or whatever mm. it is before the next lot of adverts. So you know it's told more at a film a film pace. I think whizzing through it as I have over the last couple of days, what struck me about Pennies from Heaven generally is it feels very much in the play for today format. It feels yes. like it fits in that slot nicely. I, I, know, I know Potter had come from play for today, but it actually yeah. feels like each of the six of them is a standalone play. What fascinated yeah. me, just I'd say really whizzing through it, was the fact that all the title sequences are different. It has six different yeah. title sequences, like yeah. each one's an individual part yeah. of a story. But but it is a, they're like six linked plays, really. And the yes. other thing that struck me watching it is how long some of the scenes are. There's a scene in a restaurant that seems to go on for about 20 minutes in one of the episodes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that, again, it becomes more more like play for today or more like a play than, yeah. mm-hmm. than necessarily yeah. an ongoing serial drama. Yeah, and I will say that the title sequences are absolutely beautiful. Mm. I think, you know, there are. I don't remember many things having, certainly of that era, where the titles were things of such mm. beauty, you know, mm. beautifully drawn, mm. you know, and recreating the period. And there's uh, a sort of art deco, you know, yeah. those posters that you see in the railway stations and all that kind yeah. of thing going on. With certainly some of them, some of the other ones have a different feel to them. There's, there's a kind yeah. of, but it's definitely an art deco sense yeah. running through them. I think that was uh, Sid Sutton did the titles, who listeners might recognise from some of his other telly work. But uh, but it was a very mm. innovative thing. I think. I mean, when it comes yeah. to budgets, seventies budgets, uh, inflation was skyrocketing in television production. To, so to yeah. actually make six different title sequences, it's kind yes. of a commitment, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Another thing that struck me watching it is just mm. how dark it gets. Oh yeah, you know, absolutely. The kind of you know the fall of Eileen is quite. It's a know, it, her, it's a tragedy, isn't idyllic, it? Yes, yeah. yeah, from her idyllic, simple life in the Forest of Dean. Again, mm. it's uh, Dennis Potter going mm. back to the uh, the Forest of Dean and the mm. kind of you know very simple, straightforward life there. I think it's interesting watching that first couple of episodes. 
you really do see the parallels with the singing detective. You get the scenes that come again later in the singing detective. I know there's that whole thing about writers, they have a you know limited number of beans in their tin and they yeah. play with them mm-hmm. quite a lot. But there's the whole Forest of Dean setting for part of the story. The, the schoolroom comes, yeah. the schoolroom sequences are, are similar but different to what you see later yeah, with, with, with Janet Hemphrey. Yeah. But there's also the use of the bridge as symbolism. You know, people staring over the, over the bridge, yeah. the Hammersmith Bridge, I believe. It is, and, yes. And even a scene on a train where she's been ogled by the gentleman yes. on the train again yeah. will get repeated in the singing detective and watching yeah. the first two episodes you might be tempted to think oh this is just singing detective but before they've worked out how to write mm-hmm. it but actually yeah. once you get to the end of part two it goes in it basically takes a, a 90 degree turn into total murder mystery total tragedy yeah and you get this almost bonnie and clyde thing going on i felt bonnie yeah. and clyde was part of the vibe that was was happening mm. there re-watching it yeah, I mean the. Uh, <laughs> Sorry, the I kind of, <laughs> but yeah, the kind of the uh, yeah, effectively the they go on the run. You know, yes, that's the kind of that is the. Well, I mean, Cheryl uh, Campbell becomes this gangster's mole. I mean, having gone through the whole, basically, she she is this very pure, very lovely, very perfect school teacher. Yeah. Admired mm-hmm. by all her pupils who think she's wonderful and everything like that, and then she meets this very hairy little salesman. <laughs> <laughs> And has a well has a one night stand with him really. Yeah, becomes pregnant and um, is fired from her job because that's not the sort of again tells you a lot about thirties society that God, doesn't it? Yeah. You know? mm-hmm. So she can't she can no longer stay in because the children are gossiping, the parents are gossiping about the fact that she is she's been seen in the doctor's surgery and you know she is obviously um, a single woman. So she's fired, yeah. but uh, reluctantly fired by uh, Freddie Jones. It must be said, yeah. Freddie, Freddie Jones, mm-hmm. who seems to have a bit of a crush on her. Let's be honest. Yeah. And I, I think one of the things you get through Potter generally is this sense of regret and remorse and bittersweet yearning and unfulfilled desires. That comes yeah. through quite a lot. And I keep forgetting that people like Freddie Jones are in this. I, I got to the last episode when Peter Bowles turned up and I thought, I'd forgotten Peter <laughs> Bowles was was ever in The Singing Detective. It's astonishing the cast you get. For this. Yeah. I dare say we'll, we'll come round the, mm. uh, the, the principles. But yeah, mm. Freddie Jones. Nigel Havers, mm. Howell Bennett, mm. Ronald Fraser, Peter Bowles, and I've got Dave King as well there. You know, all who get kind of one or two episodes, mm. you know, as they go through this kind of the descent. And mm. then they're just like cast cast aside. because There seems to know, be a guest star of the week almost, yes, doesn't there? Yeah, it, it is kind of weird. Kind of... I mean, I was, I was thinking that watching the Hugh Bennett. I mean, Hugh Bennett basically plays a man who picks up Cheryl Campbell's character in London and puts her out to pimping. He pimps her yeah. out, I should mm-hmm. say. Not puts her out yeah. to pimping. He pimps her out. Mm-hmm. And he gets, within the course of that one episode, he gets the bulk of the musical numbers. Yeah. You know, it's like mm-hmm. Bob Hoskins almost doesn't exist that week. You know? <laughs> <laughs> but it's just fascinating to me that, that he comes in and he just blows it away for a week and then, boom, yeah. story's mm-hmm. finished with him. Thank you very much. Off you yeah. go. You know? And, uh, and what, what a song and dance man Peter Bowles is. Mm. That you'd, you you would never have that nice, nice Peter Bowles, you know. Well, from, yes. To, from Mr. Devere from To The Man of Born and these <laughs> other... Uh, well, we knew him as a villain in a lot of ITC stuff in the 60s, but uh, <laughs> yeah, he's, 
It's the moustache, I think. It's definitely, it's a sinister, it's just the kind of moustache you would definitely stroke and go, yes. hello, have that woman brought to my room kind of thing. You know, it's, it's a lovely thing. Peter Bolt yeah. was one of those actors who, who went on for a very long, I think it was only last year, he, he, we lost him. But yes. uh, but he was, he was a phenomenal, but again, it's it's not that, it's the fact that he's in this because, I just, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. I think it's, it, it just surprised me, it really did surprise me. Yeah. And again, I mean, I've, it's a long time since I'd watched Pennies from Heaven, to be fair. So, so whizzing through it again, yeah. it's amazing how much of it you do forget. There's a wonderful sense, and in, I mean, I know this is leaping to the end, but in that yeah. Peter Ball scene, but also in the restaurant scene a couple of episodes earlier, where you can sense Potter just picking his targets and going, "I'm, I'm going to have a go at the, I'm going to have a go at the, the legal system. I'm going to have a go at posh restaurants." I mean, yeah, and they just they sort of just slide yeah. into this mm-hmm. as a kind of oh I, I don't know almost like the episode's running short who can I have a pop at this week I don't know maybe that's maybe that's to do <laughs> do Dennis yeah. a bit of an injustice but he definitely had the pe- the institutions he wasn't fond of shall we put it that way yes and, and obviously in the early ones education <laughs> oh well absolutely absolutely which is one he did pick out a few times mm. and children but yeah also I mean also if you go further down the cast from these ones. Mm. Bill Dean, Roger Sloman, Bella yes. Emberg. Yes. And uh, again, just people that you some perhaps wouldn't even expect to see in this kind of program. No. I suspect our lack of appreciation for Bella Emberg to a certain extent comes from Russ Abbott's <laughs> her appearances yes. on the Russ Abbott <laughs> and um, and so on. But you know, again, a lot of these people were just they had these late career blooms, but a lot of it yeah. probably mm-hmm. because they'd been seen in plays like yeah. this, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, the other one I'll throw at you is Jenny Logan. Who Jenny plays, Logan. Who plays, Cheryl, not Cheryl Campbell, uh, Gemma Craven. Right. Who plays uh, Joan Parker, plays her mm. friend. Oh, famous yes. For, famous for the Shake and Vac advert. If <laughs> <laughs> it's an advert from the early 80s that, you know, just the sound yes. of it makes you want to grind your teeth. <laughs> does your carpet smell fresh and your room does too? <laughs> Every time you vacuum, remember what to do, Sandy. <laughs> uh, it's it's, uh, it's poetry, Sandy. It's poetry. It's it an is, art form. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think I don't think it worked on me because I, I do not remember ever buying any shaking back. But it's certainly well, it's those not hardwood for, floors you've got. It doesn't really work. Does it? <laughs> it's, it's certainly not for lack of hearing that bloody tune in the, uh, <laughs> on the TV and the silly dance that went with it. So, but yeah, so it's just like a kind of. Uh, as we say, the the supporting cast, Ronald Fraser, you know, the supporting mm. cast is just absolutely superb. And I was looking at Dave King, mm. who plays the policeman. Yes. Yeah, a very kind of somewhat stylized performance. Yeah, I, I must admit that I, watching it again, I did think that Dave King's performance was, I hate to say the weak link, but it felt a bit, bit caricatured in a way that quite a few of them didn't. Yeah. And uh, that's probably within, doing him a terrible with, injustice. Yeah. But, uh, mm-hmm. With within a year of that one, he was appearing in the Long Good Friday as Parky with right. uh, Bob Hoskins. Ah. <laughs> well, yes, I, I suppose we should mention Bob Hoskins because this really yeah. was his breakthrough into yeah. mainstream. I mean, we knew him a bit, didn't we, from things like On the Move and what have you. He'd been an actor in that in that sort of learning to read series and he was sort yeah of that's, known. that's that, that you know if if you'd said before this uh bob mm. hoskins he's a little guy that drives mm. a van on uh or a lorry on the mm. on the road mm. that's kind of he's uh, um he's an unlikely sex symbol i'd have thought 
Yeah. Hoskins, really. And yet he went off to have quite the Hollywood career. I mean, I know The Long Good Friday was a very good stepping stone towards that as well. But yeah. mm-hmm. but this must have upped his profile something, you know, ridiculous, wouldn't it, really? Yeah. And it's a fantastic performance because you do, you know, you do side for him. Because mm. he's a... He's a, he's a trier and he's a he's a grafter and he's mm. prepared to work. But you know he's also got this kind of as you say roving eye mm. kind of, and he's got the kind of the, the salesman thing with the, all the the patter. Mm. As the play starts, he's very frustrated and and is is living a shall we say an unhappy marriage with with Gemma Craven's character. Yes, yes. Joan, isn't it? Joan Parker. Yes. yes. Not, not nosy. I don't know who that is. No. Um, <laughs> and uh, she's, I think she's sort of upwardly mobile and he is, he's kind of not exactly content to be where he is, but he, he's a salesman. And yeah. he's a salesman, mm-hmm. you know, it, yeah, I don't know whether he's a successful salesman particularly, but they have a nice house, yeah. you know. They're, yeah. they're living mm-hmm. a life of relative domestic bliss if, if you're quite happy to... Mm-hmm. Except that domestic bliss can mean a lot of misery. <laughs> there is an unhappy marriage. I think is is a simple thing. Yeah, and... they're, they're, yeah, they are they are a kind of slightly ill-matched pair because mm. uh, well, she's aspirational, isn't she? So yeah. she's like, very aspirational, and he's aspirational, but in the, in the, he's more of a dreamer, I would say. Uh, yeah, Arthur Parker's character is a definite dreamer and loves and, and, the music. And, yeah, and and I suspect you know it's you feel he's a kind of working class. Barrow boy type mm. who's managed to kind of get himself ahead, mm. whereas she's a kind of middle class mm. woman. So, so yeah, it's yeah. I'm not I'm not sure how they got together in the first place because it's mm. not well. I, I suppose it's his charm, isn't it? Mm. You know, because he's a he's a know, charmer. He is a, he's a definitely he, he is a charmer. Yeah, and a lot of the, um, a lot of that charm is actually what is his undoing in the end. The stories he tells and what have you, it's kind of what leads to it unraveling in the yeah. final episode. But yeah, and he the other thing is he's also he's not. The kind of salesman that people might know now, who just rings people up. He's on the road. He's, he's he yeah. lives the life of the commercial traveller. He goes yes. round to various shops around the country and tries to sell them yeah. sheet music. Now, sheet music. I mean, this is before <laughs> CD. This, I mean, basically, people in the houses had a piano, didn't they? And and yeah. And if Stop they heard me. the popular tunes, people. I suppose by this stage, by the thirties, most households would have had a wireless set. Yeah, it's just, well, it's, it's you think on. We've just did the anniversary of the BBC, haven't we? Mm. So the BBC is maybe less that, than ten years old. Yeah, so ten, yeah, well, it was what twenty two. So yeah. this is 32, 33, 30, yeah. 35, mm. I think it's actually set in. Yeah, that's when right. the, when the trial. So it's about yeah, it's the first yeah. two decades of the BBC, so pre Second World War as well, which is really when it made its name. So yes, yeah, mm-hmm. yes. But this is the thing: people had radio sets. Well, if yes. they wanted, mm-hmm. people generally didn't have records at that stage. I mean, again, later no. on in the story, he does attempt to spend all his wife's money in setting up a record shop. Yeah, so because because he he can see what's common. You know, he's smart enough to do that, and obviously he's got good knowledge of what will sell with mm. music you know that's mm. and his problem is trying to get other people mm. to follow his mm. his nose mm. for, but uh, people again in this era didn't really have record players because they were expensive you know the, the wealthy had these things 
yeah. record sales were probably... I mean, this is before we had charts and everything like that, isn't it? So, Ooh, yeah. I mean, yeah. basically, sheet music was how they counted sales. I mean, that was... Yeah. The, the, mm-hmm. It is actually a big part. And yeah, you, you can't imagine it now, you know, <laughs> in, in the day of digital <laughs> downloads. And, you know, we've yeah. gone through records, we've gone through tape, we've gone through CDs. We're now at the download era and then go back to vinyl again because people <laughs> go round and round in loops. So we'll doubtless be around to CDs again in a couple of years. But uh, yeah. this, you know, maybe we'll go back to sheet music. Who knows? But you can't imagine anybody. I mean, like I say, they live in this lovely Art Deco semi-detached house, and that's all yeah. paid for by selling sheet music. <laughs> It sort of doesn't bear thinking about, but the frustration of other people not hearing the tunes like he does. Now, yeah. I suppose it's we shouldn't really talk about these series without actually talking about the music. I don't know about. Yeah. I mean, are you a fan of thirties music per se, particularly? It's not something I listen to a lot. We had a long time ago when I used to work weekends. We used to put tapes on, and someone in the uh, in the office had a tape of the Pennies from Heaven soundtrack. Yeah. And that would sort of get put on about seven o'clock in the morning because it wasn't death metal. <laughs> you could work to it, and it was in the yeah. background. Mm-hmm. And there was a lot of people who were very fond of it, and I think it was probably yeah. because there'd been a repeat. A, I think it was a repeat of it because it, it died. You couldn't watch this program for about ten years, could you? Because the feature film came out, and they did a deal yes. by which you yeah. weren't allowed to. They weren't allowed to show it for ten years or something. Yeah, I, th- I, th- I think I may have misattributed that to this thing in Detective, but it mm. wasn't. It was this one wasn't mm. it because it was a an ill-fated film version of it steve with, martin uh, film i believe Steve martin yes have you ever steve seen Ma- it i think i have right and what's interesting if you can if you read up on it there was mm. the proposal came from the states to make a mm. film of it mm. and cheryl campbell was offered right. to reprise a role but she was the only one <laughs> ah okay and she kind of said no it wouldn't be fair to the other uh, cast members to the other cast members to do it mm. so they sold the rights, made the version, and ten years later they got to buy the rights back for a pittance, mm. and the BBC could show it again. Mm. I did look at getting a copy of the the film, mm. and it seems to be somewhat expensive these days. It's not the kind a of, lot of I, films that go out of print suddenly their value seems to rocket yeah. because you mm-hmm. can't get them anywhere. I mean, you sort of assume eventually some things will reappear, but history yeah. at the moment with any kind of media like this any kind of film like this, mm. certain films just seem to disappear yeah again i'm not sure the downey junior version of the singing detective is widely available no. these days mm-hmm. or something like the film version of the avengers can be a bit of a <laughs> yeah. a bit of a hard one to try when they're not massively successful they kind of try and pretend they never happened and suddenly they pop up on <laughs> i don't know channel five at two in the morning for some reason yeah. with, a, with someone mm-hmm. you know doing the, the hand uh, sign version in the morning but the actual yeah. film itself becomes quite difficult yeah. to to see yeah but oh yeah i think old steve martin's kind of a bit of a a bit of a kind of case to answer when he uh when he goes <laughs> to those pearly gates he goes oh so you he, remade he does seem to have had a a knack of remaking popular things badly doesn't he i think that's because yeah, he did yeah. bilco he did yeah he did inspector cluso yeah <laughs> and obviously pennies from heaven all of which yeah. and yeah he made some you know great film choices as well so i mean yeah he was he was really funny in in lots of things mm. but he's just his uh shall we say his radar for uh for what for what to be in and what mm. not to be in is somewhat somewhat kind of uh yes dodgy and it's a shame really because actually i think i don't know whether it's because these particular plays these particular series if you like are very quintessentially british 
Yeah. You know, Potter's work is very English or very Welsh mm-hmm. or very yeah. certainly British in its core stuff. And it doesn't seem to translate particularly well. It can be massively successful, but, but relocating it to the States somehow doesn't yeah. seem to work in quite the same no. way, does it? Because, yeah, because, I mean, part of the thing about Arthur is that he almost dreams of going to the States, mm. doesn't he? You know, the, oh, the Chicago. Is Why do you say uh, it like that? Chicago! <laughs> well, uh, I, again, the, the thing the about of, that uh, era, that's the thing about that era is people would have, their entire popular visual entertainment was the cinema, wasn't it? And the yeah. bulk of film in the 30s, I presume, even then, was probably Hollywood films, really. Yeah. So, so America would have been this dreamlike place. I mean, even when they're on the run at yeah. the end, he, he wants to run away to the States because he thinks they'll get away with it. Yeah. And there's this kind of less less class in the states, you know. Mm. He wouldn't be seen as a kind of the well, a salesman. Right? Also, America is built on salesmen, isn't it? Really? Yes. And also, the you think that there's the roll along Prairie Moon, Prairie, yes, you know, of which which from yes. a UK point of view, or you know, in the kind of the, the south of England is like you know that place you dream of going to the, the states in the open way, but it's like. It's not the same if you're in Chicago, is it? You know, because no, no, it's absolutely. like uh, it's just like get on the Greyhound bus, and it's <laughs> it's it's gonna it's it's a lot more achievable and kind of less of a dream and more of a get mm. off your uh, just get up and go there. So mm. yeah, so the the film one I might have seen it in the eighties. I know mm. my dad he was a massive fan of the Singing Detective, mm. and he hated that film version of it mm. with a passion mm. when he when he did see it. Well, I think uh, anything, I mean, really. I mean, you've got something that on screen is, what, seven and a half hours, and as a feature film is going to get reduced to maybe two hours at most, really. Yeah. Uh, you are going to lose so much of the subtlety of the yeah. original mm-hmm. without really gaining greater. It's interesting. I was listening, Some people were talking to me the other day about Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy because that's yeah. another one of the shows that's been repeated and saying how the Alec Guinness version doesn't really feel like it drags at all over six no. hours running time. And sometimes yeah. the feature film version, which is a third of the length, can feel very <laughs> slow. And yeah. it says something about this style of television, I think, that somehow it can engage you. And maybe that's to do with the TV yeah. being in your mm-hmm. room rather than on a cinema screen. But yeah. that thing about the pace at which Pennies from Heaven unfolds is, is glacial in many ways. Yeah. And yet... Mm-hmm. It rattles along. I mean, the downfall of um, of Eileen is actually over over the course of about two yeah. episodes. Because once she's yeah. become the mole, yeah. once her character has gone over to the dark side, or she's a, it's like she's a completely different person. And it's in the space yeah. of you remember fondly that lovely, sweet innocence. You yes. see in, in the first couple of episodes, and yeah. when you see her in the final episode, when she's this hard bitten. Uh, I mean, there's a whole scene in the barn which we probably should expand upon, but yeah. it, it's it's like it's a different, completely different character, and yet you know it's the same mm. character. And you yeah. sort of say, well, is Dennis saying that we've all got this inside us, this other dark side, or whether you know, once you sort of strip away the veneer, or is he basically saying we're all corruptible? Yeah, I, I think it's like my take on it is you do what you have to do. Mm. 
is that you know there's this yes. survival instinct that says okay if we're going to survive mm. this is this, this is, is how we do want. it this is mm. and to a certain extent you know she's the one who does that and bob mm. hoskins the the salesman mm. isn't quite as kind of mm. as sold well she's more of a pragmatist and i think you could also argue that probably society rejected her for what happened yeah and so she almost think a button switches in her head saying right mm. I reject your society. I'm going to, you know, do for myself yeah. here. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a fascinating, a wonderful sequence where she is trying to blackmail Ronald Fraser's character, who's, oh, yeah. who's an MP who's uh, up to no good. And, oh, that never happens, does it? <laughs> <laughs> you know, and that sort of fails spectacularly. But yeah. I think mm-hmm. the fascinating thing, I, I, I hesitate to do this because obviously, you know, you do feel that people need to see the series, but it goes in the final episode, into some very dark places. And basically, because of a set of circumstances, Arthur ends up on trial for his life because a blind girl played by Yolanda Palfrey uh, has been murdered by an other character, we believe. Mm -hmm. And so he goes on trial for his life. But actually, in that same episode, Cheryl Campbell's character actually murders somebody. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's... In a, in a most uh, that scene in the barn is is a fascinating thing about voyeurism as much as anything about loneliness. Yeah, which is a, which is a real regular recurrent theme in, in Potter, isn't it? And also the fact that what he pays the price, but then because again this is part of the nature of drama, I suppose. But by some extraordinary coincidence, he, he happens to be somebody that Arthur's character knew. Yeah, <laughs> in his youth. You know, so and again, it's fascinating the way their lives interweave throughout the story. I mean, there's a, a period in the story where Hugh Bennett's character Tom is pimping Eileen out, and she's yeah. living in the same flat as him, and mm. he happens to run into Arthur in Arthur's shop and yes. invites him over, and they're both in the same flat, mm. and neither of them know the other one's there. And they never no. meet in that scene. <laughs> so the one person who walks into his shop is the one person who knows where Eileen is. And again, that can only really probably happen in dramas like this. But I think it's fascinating yeah. the way it weaves and bobs around. Yeah. I mean, again, yeah. you could almost say there's a kind of, I'm not going to say there's, well, yeah, I think, I think, yeah, French farce is probably, you know, where people are yeah. coming in and out of doors. <laughs> there's yes, a little so. bit of that going on there. And missing each other just when you think they're going to mm. meet. And yeah, I think that's kind of that's a good comment. Should we go on to the other members of the cast? Because we've, we've given, I, we've given I think Bob so. a bit of a yeah. Bob a bit of a going. Uh, Cheryl Campbell. Who... Cheryl Campbell is astonishing in this. Yes, it fascinates me really how whenever Cheryl Campbell turns up in anything else, the one thing I remember is her being in this. Yeah, and you kind of think, why wasn't she? in everything after this, because it's a phenomenal... I mean, I don't know about you. Again, I know actors train, and I know that they train in things like dance and movement, but there is something so sensual about her dancing Yes, in the routines. Yeah. You feel that there's there's almost burlesque quality, but there's there's a real sensuality to what her character Mm -hmm. does. I mean, you know, Bob... Bless him, you know, Bob's always going to look a bit like Bob in the dance sequence. And again, yeah. is incredibly sort of twinkle toesy, really. But yep. when she's the dancing in the classroom, she does, you know, yeah. it's, it's just an astonishing. Moving around, I mean, let's face it, you've got a room full of kids who are going to 
you know, kids' acting can be a bit hit and miss at the best of time. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And in that sequence, just in the schoolroom, the way she sort of slinks about between them, it's, it's a phenomenal yeah. performance. And then, there's, yeah, there is, the, as you say, the burlesque dance later mm -hmm. on. Yeah. And, I mean, you say you think of it or not. In the same year, she made Testament of Youth. Mm. 79. Right. Well, so, you, you know, within a year. Yeah, yeah. You know, which was a, a much lauded drama of the day, the mm. kind of the life of uh, Vera Britton. Mm. And then, I don't know what happened. Why was she not in dozens and dozens of... Well, she pops up in the old Morse, doesn't she, and, and things like that. I suppose it happens yeah. to her a lot. You hesitate to say but for a lot of mm. female actors they get to an age and people sort of want somebody younger i mean we've yeah. talked about that in other things but it's actually quite brutal but also they go off and maybe they have the family or whatever and their career yeah. just you know or they go off and do a lot of stage work but yeah. you don't see them on screen as much all of a sudden and then suddenly no. they pop up 10 years later and you think didn't yeah. you used to be Cheryl Campbell you know and which is terrible really yeah. it's terrible what we do as viewers we forget yeah. people she cropped up in a couple of things, which I don't know if you ever saw. She was in Fantabulosa, which was the story of Kenneth Williams, and hmm. about 2000. And I think I did see it at the time. Yeah. And yeah, she played Lou Williams, who was kind of Kenneth's. Man, you know, are you watching it? And you go, that's Cheryl Campbell, you know. Yeah. Where has she been for the last? And, and another, another thing which yeah. is worth looking out for, a thing called Funland. Oh, right. Okay. Which similar era, which is a kind of slightly sleazy thriller set in mm. Blackpool. I, where, where else? Where, where else well. would you send us? <laughs> a sleazy. I, I think what is wonderful, though, I think that they're actually in the last twenty years or so. There's been an interesting shift in the sense that lots of people who grew up watching actors in the seventies and eighties ended up working in television and remembered these actors and gave them work you know yeah. there's a lot i mean a lot of modern writers but people like mark gattis you know the league of gentlemen generally actually started casting people that yeah. you hadn't seen on telly for a long time you know even people like yeah. you know, russell t davis in his shows you suddenly see actors that you think oh yes you know i've just not seen them mm. in things quite a few of yeah. the british actors i mean you think about someone like ian mcshane who went off and made a fortune in America, you know. And yeah. it's the same kind of thing. They were big in Britain, and then suddenly it's like British television forgot them or moved on or yeah. just seemed to, you know. I mean, I'm not quite sure what happened to Gemma Craven, really. No, because, I mean, she, she was always a big kind of musical mm. was her mm. thing. And, you know, at the time, that was her name was very much in a kind of the musical West End mm. You know, me and my, I'm not going to say me and my girl. Mm. I'm going to show my total ignorance of musicals. <laughs> but she, yeah, and this was her first kind of real proper serious, mm. serious drama. And of course, Father Ted. Let's mm. not forget she did appear in Father Ted. True. I think, again, the interesting thing about Gemma Craven's character within this piece, Joan Parker, is that actually she seems to be the character that gets, sort of, well, again, left behind in the story. And for, because obviously, again, her interactions with the policeman is and her ability to be, how can I put it, persuaded by other people's opinions yes. is actually part yeah. of what Arthur's downfall is. But her, yeah. her scenes yeah. in the first episode, there's a lot more with Joan in the first episode. And I mean, in the end, I think you only ever really see her on the balcony and in that scene yes. in, the, mm -hmm. in the cell. Uh, the end, you know, yeah. where again, Arthur seems to want to have his cake and eat it 
<laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. In fact, if if you if you think on it, as well, there's a kind of you've got the opposites between Arthur and uh, and Joan, mm. whereas she's always very conscious of other people's opinions mm. and takes them on board and acts mm. on them. Whereas Arthur's got the confidence of you know I'm right. I know. Mm. I know what's a hitching. Mm. I know what's a what's a kind of what's a dog. Oh, is that the phrase? Is that the one he uses yeah. repeatedly? <laughs> well, that and Jimmy Riddle, which he stopped for. <laughs> uh, he faithfully stops for a Jimmy Riddle. <laughs> yes, always be careful about that one. And uh, leaves his, his cigarette ends and uh, yeah. and his footprints in a, in a field which uh, basically was not wise of him. And also does a little bit of gloating to one of his... Uh, about somebody else. Yeah. To one of his mm. fellow salespeople. Yeah, I mean, the, 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 the salesman scenes are fantastic, you know, because mm. that's where we've got uh, Roger Sloman and Bill mm. Dean mm. as these kind of salesmen who meet up and on the road and just talk away about things. That's, that's really good. And there is one other name we, we haven't mentioned yet, mm. which is of course Kenneth Coley. As the as, Kenneth as, Coley, as, yes, I was going to come to. I was. Going, I was. Go, I was. I was. Thank you very much. I was. Thank you very much, sir. <laughs> I was. I was going to say we we uh, talk about Ken, Kenneth Coley, whose character. Interacts on a very peripheral level with with yeah. everybody else in this, but you can you know that you think of and you can just hear the way that he says that you know thank you very much it's kind mm. of and just the the general jumpiness and and lack mm. of lack of ease. He is a vagrant who plays an accordion, isn't he? I mean, that, yes. and and whilst he's kind of a peripheral character, he's also key to the whole thing. Yes. I think the, uh, the fascinating thing about Kenneth Coley's character is that he, when basically when Arthur and Eileen are on the run uh, and they've stolen a car, but they've decided to go back to London, it's almost a spectral image of him is what causes Arthur to stop the car. He's, yeah. he's, and so he slams on the brake, and therefore, when the car won't restart and a police car stops, that's mm. how he ends up being caught. But I think, I mean, throughout this, Kenneth Coley's character is is a very is a very broken person. But also, I mean, is it fair to say that he's actually who done it? Yes, that's that's always the. Yeah, it's the just that there are there are some sort of suggestions that that might just be one of his delusions as well. Yeah, he's a very deluded character. Who, but yeah, it's it's a it's a phenomenal performance. And again, how much yeah. does because he actually interacts with all the, with all the other main characters in some yeah. peripheral way, doesn't mm-hmm. he? He's a, and he's just there playing his tunes and being ignored at the side of the road and gets yeah. and somehow surviving as a vagrant. And yeah, it's almost like he's society's conscience in in some. If you want to read too much into yeah. it. That's it. And yeah, and he's and he's and he, he's there playing these kind of battered hymns. I think is probably is probably the mm. way to describe them. You know, I'm yes. kind of you know compared to uh, Bob Hoskins with his uh, mm. you know his slick tunes that are mm. you know he's got real kind of old firebrand, old rugged cross kind of uh, mm. things and just travelling. Yeah, travelling around. Do you think that? Again, comes from Potter talking about the hypocrisy of religion. Do you think that is part of what that's about? You know, because obviously in the end, there's a lot of tunes being played and a lot of, 
what's the word I'm looking for? Platitudes being said, yes. but actually, yeah. these the, the platitudes are being said by people who are acting in a very unpleasant way. Yeah. <laughs> if you yeah, like. oh, yeah, that's, that's kind of good. Good. What would you say as we rattle through towards the end of our hour? Uh, what would you say? I, I suppose we should talk about Dennis Potter actually. And what do you think this is actually? What do you think Pennies from Heaven is trying to tell us? Uh, God, you've stumped me with that one. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I think it is it. I don't know. Well, it's just I'm, I'm thinking really of the themes that are running through it. You know, because I, I mean, obviously there are these themes that Dennis Potter touches on in other yeah. works, mm. and like as we mentioned earlier, we, there was definitely there were targets. Yeah, you know, and mm-hmm. I, what gets me about it is because you've got the six plays. It's like the target of this week. It's certainly in the first part of episode yeah. two is education. Mm-hmm. The target of these these restaurants. The target of the legal system. Right? I think the legal system comes in for a right old wallop in that last <laughs> episode. I mean, I'm again. I I don't know because I know you've read the biographies and everything like that. Yeah. Had had Dennis Potter had any run-ins with the law? Because he he does seem to have a very cynical attitude towards the process of the law and uh, and or yeah. did he just was he a very strong anti death penalty figure back in the 60s that that would be the that would be my take on it yeah because mm. yeah he comes from a very kind of liberal mm. background. background and yeah i mean uh, he was he stood as an mp didn't he a couple of times I, I, yeah mm-hmm. yeah so, so he he obviously had political leanings. So this was probably one of those things he felt very strongly about. Yeah. Because in the end, I mean, this this six part, it's a kind of tragedy about fate and about bad luck and and bad choices and and mm. where that can lead you. And yet, suddenly at the very end, again, I hate to say this because it does feel like you should put spoiler alerts out. But yeah. the very end of it, he pulls. A happy ending out of the, out yes. of the, the, yeah. the hat, which mm-hmm. feels. I always feel it. It feels a bit like a get out of jail free card, yeah. <laughs> ironically. But do you feel that? I mean, does it feel like the proper ending? It's, it's, it's a strange ending. Mm. Yeah, I, I, I think it's a strange ending, but it's mm. it almost like it feels like in the. Uh, is that the kind of? Is that Dennis just? Sorry, I, I just say is that Dennis sort of cheating? Is he, is he, I'm trying to think if he's yeah if he's if he's having his cake and eating it or or what or is it the you know maybe maybe real life can be more like the the songs you know yeah. and you do get your your happy because so, songs tend to end happily don't they you know well, a lot it's of just these the, ones, but, that last episode I mean certainly the last twenty minutes of that last episode is is brutal it's and it's a brutal yeah. treatise on capital punishment and and the rightness and wrongness of it and and the people who you know had to actually f- face that but also be the people who had to sort of sit with these people yeah. during the last few hours of life and all that kind of stuff and and the almost like the banality of everyday life i mean the conversations they're having oh should we play some more cards and oh, and, <laughs> and there's a wonderful moment where they're telling a very rude joke when Joan arrives to say her final farewells, <laughs> and yeah. it all stops because they're actually having a giggle, you know. Because I mean, yeah. you've got to be honest. I mean, even at this stage, and and all hope is gone, and and, and Arthur has been completely destroyed by society, life, whatever. He yeah. he's a, he's very he's still very positive, very jolly, very ebullient. Yeah, 
character. I mean, that sort of shines through, really. Mm. And we, we get to this scene right at the end where obviously what's happened has happened and it's and it's not they don't hold back do they i mean and in terms of how it's done on on screen it's it's very powerfully filmed but you've also got cheryl campbell's character waiting on a bridge for the the fateful hour yeah and again if you if it finished there you'd think wow that was bleak and yet yeah you get this coda yeah which yeah, you could have you could have stopped it with her on the bridge, and that mm. would have been. Is that the difference between tragedy and farce? But, though? but yeah, but it's again, it's it's the it's a, I suppose it's the it's the <laughs> it's the Arthur positive things coming through. You know, mm. things will work out in the end. Mm. You well, know, see, I, I worry that I, I sometimes misunderstand things. I mean, uh, there are very much there are people who are and rightly so are not as offended as other people by say the way um inglorious bastards messes with history yeah and because mm-hmm. they're, they're saying well what that's saying is that you can idealize and say well this you can take things in a different direction if you like you yeah. don't have to just mm-hmm. say well, this is history because this is history yeah you can fantasize and play with with history and everything like that so actually as that could this could be a very early example of a script writer saying mm-hmm. well i'm not you know i've written myself into this corner but i'm not going to accept that i'm gonna go in another yeah. direction now mm-hmm. and, and leave people with a a, a positive happy ending yeah. uh, and i just wondered because you're you're a big potter fan is that yeah. the only time he really does a kind of u-turn because i know that singer detective has a happy ending yeah Mm-hmm. But that's kind of woven yeah. through. The, this mm-hmm. is the man taking up his bed and walking. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Whereas yeah. this seems like you've got to go to the darkest, darkest place. Yeah. But actually, no, nah, it's okay. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've I've watched Track Twenty Nine fairly mm. recently, mm. and in that way, in that one, he has got there are major kind of uh, discrepancies that mean mm. that it doesn't make sense. Mm. Was he real or was he not real? Mm. Does it really matter? Mm. You know. Well, again, that that's something that Potter. I mean, when you think about called Lazarus or um, yeah. karaoke, mm. the jigsaw pieces of memory and how things go together. It, yeah. uh, even the singing detective has that. Even yeah. the lips, lipstick mm. has that. Although yeah. lipstick feel, always feels more linear to me. But it yeah. it, it just this idea mm. that people's memories of a thing can be different. Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. even Potter's yeah. own memories of yeah. school rooms mm-hmm. and things could be different yeah. depending on when it is. So I don't know. I, I'm just yeah. intrigued by that. Yeah. So right. as as we as we wind this this hour up, really, yeah. um, mm-hmm. how how do you feel about Pennies from Heaven historically? Do you feel it holds up? I mean, do you think it could? Uh, do you yes, think it could I be made it, today? No, no, I don't think there's there's kind of patience for an original piece of drama. Mm. You know, a lot of things you watch these days are uh, adaptations of books. Mm. You know, uh, where they've taken something. You know, it's a book, and then we can you can throw throw the resources at it. The idea yeah. of a bespoke uh, yeah, I don't, I don't see that happening. I, I was thinking really more thematically, you know, yeah. because the nature mm. of what's being talked about here. I know even now a lot of people are not fond of Dennis Potter because of the things he wrote about the subject matter, yeah. the mm-hmm. the raw side of sexuality and relationships, yeah. which mm-hmm. which isn't very fashionable. And I yeah. just wondered if. You know, nowadays, I mean, even even the fact that you just have nudity on screen would be seen as exploitative. I think. Does yeah. it? I mean, mm-hmm. I know a lot of people think that a lot of Dennis Potter's writing is quite exploitative, but 
it somehow it feels it still feels like art in yeah. a way that quite a lot of screen productions now don't really. I don't. Yeah. I, don't know I mean, c- certainly, I think he became more exploitative as he went mm. as he went on as mm. he went on on to kind of things like uh, Black Eyes. Mm. Here, no, I'm not. I don't really. Because I just know that you are a fan of Potter, yeah, Jen mm. and his work. I mean, do you still feel that the genius label suits? You know? Yeah. Do you feel I he was a television so. genius? Do you think it was a, a very sort of you know cornerstone of of British drama writing in the sixties and seventies? Yeah, and I, I, I think so. He, you know, he did all kinds of things and touched mm. on themes that other people mm. don't, mm. and made. You know, push the boundary of what was mm. possible mm. and acceptable, mm. and kind of uh, things. So, if you had to defend Potter, you know, how would you go about that? Uh, yeah, it, it's this thing about you know, can you pull away the man from the art mm. and stuff like that? That kind of uh, various heroes are now shown to be, uh, you know, unacceptable people, and yeah. and I think in his in the majority of his art, I've not a problem with that at all. Mm. You know, I, I just think good. we sometimes do need to scratch the veneer of what polite society claims to be. Yeah. I, I'd be fascinated now if there was a, a modern screenwriter of of the Dennis Potter type who's sort of unpeeling sort of modern politics or, or events of the last couple of years. I think we yeah. need somebody to actually put that kind of microscopic without being sensational, but just to actually say, no, you know, you, you um, take away this and you, you know, you look at the soft, the, the darker underbelly of life. We, when yeah. nowadays dramas, when they sort of slip into darkness, it's usually violence. And yes, yet, you know, mm-hmm. there's, there's a lot more unpleasantness beneath the surface of, of suburbia and everyday life than any of us mm. really like to believe. And I think Potter, what he managed to do by, shall we say, unpeeling his own persona and masking himself and looking yeah. into his own dark mm-hmm. corners of his own subconscious, he actually managed to turn that into something that does expose life in yeah. all its sort of warts and all horrors really. yeah mm-hmm. yeah i mean there's a, there's that theme in the uh, uh the singing detective with the uh the pile on mm. you know where the the kid gets uh gets caught yes or yeah. and you know the way that somebody who wasn't guilty of something is seen to be guilty by somebody else and then lots of people back it up and kind of uh yeah. But I think that's the thing. There are these scenes within all Potter's work which are sort of magically talking about something else in society and and actually sort of showing us ourselves, reflecting ourselves and saying this is is what we are, this is what it is to be human and human beings can be very unpleasant very, yeah. uh-huh. uh, very, very self-serving and, you know, as it turns out, you know, these things we do can have consequences that are completely unforeseen so yeah yeah so i I think we're pretty much there is there anything i mean do you uh, pennies from heaven generally how do you regard do you feel having rewatched it do you still feel that it's it's a in in your your top 10 of potter is it still in the top oh yeah i think it's probably in probably in the the top 10 top 20 of everything you know not just Mm. 
not just Potter. I was too young to watch it at the time. I do remember right. it being on because I would have been about 16 mm. when it was on, which is probably... Mm. Just the right bit... age to be trying to see a bit of lipstick around the nipple out of thought. Yes. <laughs> Hoping that uh, you could. <laughs> and, you know, my parents were uh, loved it. But yeah. it just, uh, it kind of, it seemed a bit odd having these people. Would you have felt comfortable watching it in the room with your parents? Because that would have been the choice yeah. in those days, wouldn't it? That's it. Yeah, well, my parents watched it. You know, they were, yeah. they'd, they'd be well into their 50s then. Yeah. But they they knew that Dennis Potter was a kind of, a, was a really inventive TV dramatist. And oh. also they, they had a, a you know, being of that age, they had a certain affinity with the music as well, because you mm. know they they grew up in the thirties and forties, so the music mm. was brought back a lot of memories for them. I think three-channel television, in some ways, actually challenged the viewer a lot more, because yeah. when the when there were fewer choices, people might try something out instead of going, oh, yeah. you know. Mm. You know, they they sort of thought, oh, well, this might be interesting. So I think actually three-channel television sometimes yeah. puts something in front of the audience that they might otherwise have yes. just said, oh, you know, what, what's what's on Channel 5 kind of thing. Yeah, and you didn't have the option to go, oh, I'm not sure about this. I'll, mm. look, at, I'll look at one of the other yeah. 75 different channels and yeah. see if there's anything else or... Watch some and video. Sandy, go to your room. Yes. Yeah, go to your room, and uh, we'll just watch this YouTube video instead. So yeah, so it's kind of yeah, the kind of less choice. Sorry, less choice might have kind of made more people actually engage with it. So. And do the tunes still bring up any sense of nostalgia with you when you watch? Yeah, watch I, I think. Well, I, I think they are they are now so closely tied into. Mm the TV series that you they're more probably associated with the TV series now than with with anything else for me and the dance sequences the, 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 I mean, the, the dancing is fantastic isn't yeah. it you know and you get they are like you know, they, almost they, like pop videos for, for those songs yeah. aren't they, they are, and yeah. you know the, the people dancing them aren't necessarily proper dancers you know mm. they're not yeah. trained dancers and there's a lovely bit where the uh, it's in the the pub where Arthur meets the the woman that he takes to the back of his car, mm. and the dance sequence in that you can tell it's like uh, the kind of the expressions on the faces are wonderful because mm. it's like they're doing it in character. They've not suddenly changed into you know some dancer in a film. It's like mm. it's it's the kind of the prostitute in the bar. If you asked her mm. to dance, that's what she would. Mm. That's how she would react mm. to dancing. It's, you know, it feels like, sort of raw and real, and, yeah, and not over rehearsed. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's the thing. You do sometimes feel that Hollywood would pull back, and suddenly you'd have sort of like fifty tables and and the yeah. whole sort of routine thing. And mm. then actually, the, the this BBC version feels kind of like raw, and but that's part of its charm, and it's also part of the world it's trying to portray, isn't it? I just yeah. think, yeah, maybe you're right. I think the the music is possibly the legacy of Pennies from Heaven in the in the fact that you know people maybe not have seen it, and I think, but I think it does. It now those tunes make me think of the serials. That's fabulous. Well, thank you yeah. very much for talking mm -hmm. to me today about uh, Pennies from Heaven, Sandy. Um, well, I know we've got a whole stack of proper grown-up telly that uh, we're <laughs> going to talk about in future weeks, so that's good. So, uh, thanks very much for your time today. You take care. 
Okay, cheers, Martin. Many thanks to Sandy McGregor for joining me once again to stroll along down Sunnyside Lane under that old prairie moon. Roll along, covered wagon. Roll along. Anyway, as yet another edition of Vision on Sound unexpectedly pulls a happy ending out of the bag, my thanks must also go out to everyone at Fab Radio International for all that they do to keep us in tune. And of course, I must also thank all of you for listening. As ever, I have been Martin, and this has been Vision on Sound. Goodbye for now and take care. <laughs>